0: Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs.
1: Everyone, welcome to the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. I'm Trevor Page, and I'll be your moderator for this session. The nation last month was stunned when a lone gunman shot a Canadian soldier at Ottawa's war memorial and then stormed into Parliament. Who was Michael Zehaf Bibo? Was he an Islamist terrorist? Or was he just a mentally ill man? This coming on the heels of the killing of another Canadian soldier in Quebec has caused the government to fast track some anti terrorism legislation. But is what it is proposing? going to curb our civil liberties. Our civil liberties that we hold so dearly. What kind of fallout can we expect from joining the so called five eyes? We're pleased to have Dr Paul Viminitz from the U of L's philosophy department speak to this issue at SACPA today. Dr. Viminitz is the author of the publication A Defense of Terrorism. Before inviting him to the podium, uh, I have to remind you that the cost of today's session is $11. Please put it into the uh, basket on the table in front of you and have somebody count it so that we know it's correct. Um, I have to tell you, though, before inviting Doctor, Viminitz up here. That next week we have three special sessions. After ten years, Brian Keating is returning to SAGPA. He's here at the next noonday session, and he's going wild with the, is the title of his topic. And then two sessions at the U of L, uh, starting at seven o'clock. And I'll talk more about those uh, over the lunch break and tell you what's happening over there. But now the session is recorded. Please turn off your cell phones. And, Paul, you have the floor, sir.
0: Oh, you clap now, but just wait. You know, <laughs> you know Newt reminded me that the last time I was here, I, I, I've spoken at SACPA a couple of times, anyway, but the last time I was here, he says, it was 2006, which is eight years ago. And I thought, has it been that long? But I realize today that it it has to have been, because I do remember in 2006, or the last time I was here, looking out at this crowd, and I said, my God, these people are old. (laughs) And I'm looking out at the crowd right now, and I'm saying, my God, these people are younger than me. (laughs) I'm turning sixty-five on Valentine's Day. Don't forget presents. Um, and uh, so I didn't realize it was been that long. But anyhow, look at—I'm um, here to piss you off, okay? Um, and uh, <laughs> see, I've already succeeded, right? Um, but I'm here to go. I titled my little talk, and now for a different perspective. Um, So, we can talk about it after lunch, but uh, um, remember that the philosopher is supposed to be the gadfly. Now, of course, Socrates was condemned to drink hemlock as a result of his, you know, uh, gadfly. So, I'm condemned to have lunch or something. Um, (laughs) All right, enough of that. So, when I was 30 30 years old, uh, I thought I might have been addicted to Valium. So I talked to my family doctor, who just happened to be the head of the Drug and Alcohol Rehabilitation Commission for the province of El- of Saskatchewan. Well, he said, you may have to go through a week or two of withdrawal, so I'm going to write you a prescription for a placebo. <laughs> what? I asked. How can taking a placebo have its intended effect if the patient knows he's taking a placebo? <laughs> oh, he answered... Our research shows that it doesn't make a difference whether the patient knows he's taking a placebo or not. Just put that on the back burner for a minute. Now, some of you may remember, you're going to see the theme here in a second. Some of you may remember that a few years ago, there was a a mad cow scare. Do you remember Ralph Klein with the, how did it go, shoot, shovel, and shut up? In the wake of which, the then Minister of Agriculture for the province of Alberta ordered a cull of about 100,000 animals. Asked if this would improve the safety of the meat supply, she answered, with uncharacteristic canter, that not by one iota. I remember this interview. I was was shocked by it. But But she pointed out it would boost consumer confidence in the safety of the meat supply, so much for evidence-based governmental policies, I thought. And then I thought again. I said, if the object of the call was to boost consumer confidence in the safety of the meat supply, and if there was adequate reason to believe it would, then the call was evidence-based, even if these consumers were informed that safety would be in no wise affected by the call. In short, that, throw no, that through no fault uh, of the government, people are just stupid – is no reason for a democratic government not to kowtow, no pun intended, to that stupidity. Now put that on the back burner. Since 9-11, the American government has spent a trillion dollars, and still counting, on what it calls homeland security. Not to mention the half trillion spent by other Western governments, including Canada, um, to maintain communion with the United States on this score. And Western governments including our own have done so with the full support of their people. nor need I mention well I suppose I am mentioning it that some knee-jerk civil libertarians argued that the Patriot Act passed a month after 9/11 has taken the u.s. dangerously close to a police state and that the Canadian and that Canadian legislatures legislators seem more than willing to follow the American lead so the question is who's overreacting our governments, or civil libertarians. Well, it's hard to say. Why is it so hard to say? Because there's no way to test the effectiveness of these new governmental powers. Civil libertarians will point out that the Japanese Canadians did not collaborate with their erstwhile compatriots. Well, answers the defenders of the uh, internment camps, that's because we interned them. (laughs) The Canadian government paid Myra Arar $11 million to compensate him for the RCMP's complicity in his rendition and torture, but the Americans, by the way, continue to regard him as a suspect, so he can't go to the United States. Um, There hasn't been another 9-11 since 9-11, Crow's the security uh, lobbyist, but answers the civil libertarian, that's because there wouldn't have been another one anyhow, and so the debate continues. So let's look instead at the economics of these measures. 9-11 occurred on a Tuesday, if I recall correctly. Between the two towers of the World Trade Center, the Pentagon, and the plane that went down in Pennsylvania, just under 3,000 people lost their lives that morning. That's a lot of people. But hold on. It's a matter of public record that more than 3,000 people died on American highways in the perfectly normal weekend leading up to that Tuesday. And the same number have died pretty much every weekend before and since. In fact, since 9-11, almost a quarter of a million Americans have died on its highways. America's own highway safety experts estimate that one-tenth of the trillion squandered on homeland security redirected to highway safety could have cut that death toll in half. And American people, the American people know this, just as I knew I was taking a placebo, and just as Albertans knew that that cull had nothing to do with the safety of the meat supply. What could possibly explain this seeming collective stupidity? Well, for one thing, as psychologists like Kahneman and Tversky, Allais, and Daniel Ellsberg have taken pains to point out, first thing is that human beings are notoriously bad at processing risk. In fact, there's an entire city of over a million people in Southern Nevada, which makes its living on just how bad we are at processing risk. And yes, second point, the security industry is a major contributor to the campaign covers of many American politicians, but what remains a mystery is our our own collective willingness to allow these glitches in our reasoning to be so exploited. Well, maybe not such a mystery. For most of human history, or at least for most of human prehistory, we drew no distinction between the lion sneaking into the village and mauling one of our children and a human marauder doing the same thing. But somewhere along the line, we got it into our heads that human beings aren't supposed to prey on other human beings. Well, more accurately, that other human beings aren't supposed to prey on us. For our own predation on others, we have more self forgiving terms like white man's burden or civilizing the biber- barbarian. We don't really understand the lion, but what difference would it make if we did? Lions do what lions do. Well, so do suicide bombers. About once a month, you take the two, the two lane Granham sh- uh, shortcut to Calgary. You do, don't you? The Granham shortcut when you go to Calgary? Yeah where you and the oncoming vehicle pass each other at a combined speed of 240 kilometers an hour. Don't lie to me and tell me you only go 100. You know. Okay. Now, there's as much likelihood that the oncoming vehicle is being driven by a lion as there is that its human driver has just had a bad day and decided to end it all with a head-on. And yet, in the first case, you'd say to yourself, well, lions will be lions, Whereas in the second, you'd be morally outraged. That moral outrage has cost the American people $900 billion and and 100,000 highway deaths. So one would think you'd be at least be a little curious about what went on that day for that suicidal driver. And maybe, just maybe, what you could do to ensure the next driver has had a slightly better day. All right, so what could possibly be motivating the likes of Al-Qaeda, the Taliban, and now ISIS? Certainly the last thing we want to do is just ask them. In fact, we assiduously avoid giving voice to our enemies because when you go to war, you need to get your blood boiling. And you can't really get your blood boiling and at the same time grant that your enemy may well have a legitimate beef. So we don't need to tune into Al Jazeera Because Fox News has already given us the answer. They just hate freedom. The ongoing Palestinian Intifada has nothing to do with four generations of occupation and apartheid. They just hate Jews. Do we believe this nonsense? As just noted, we have to, because we're civilized and civilized people, like the Israelis, for example would have found it difficult this summer to slaughter a couple thousand people who just want to be able to leave their concentration camp, and yes, that's exactly what Gaza is, by the way, so that they can visit relatives or go shopping just like the rest of us can. But the Muslim world, in the Muslim world, there's a slightly different perspective. There, Osama bin Laden is widely regarded as their Leo Tolstoy, a man who turned his considerable wealth over to the fight for social justice, as he conceived it. He was their Oscar Romeo, a man who martyred himself in the name of the Muslim version of liberation theology. Liberation from what? From the wealth under the feet of the Middle East being squandered in Herods of London by the wives of the oil sheikhs supported and protected by American arms. Fox News won't tell you any of this. Al Jazeera will. How many of you actually tune into Al Jazeera from time to time? It's worth. Al Jazeera, for those of you who don't know, is the CNN uh, of the Middle East. But let's get down to the case at hand, namely ISIS. 2003, the United Nations. uh, (laughs) The United States invaded and occupied Iraq, destroying both Iraq's army and its government. As with the, Kar- right, the Karzai regime in Afghanistan the US uh, installed a Quisling regime and what public administration remained was debathified in much the way the German government was denazified in 1945 and for the same perfectly defensible reason namely that an unlimited democracy would almost certainly undermine itself so you can't let the i mean in 1945 you weren't going to let the Nazis run for office you know because Right? And likewise, you're not going to let the Ba'ath Party run for office in Iraq. You know. Now, the Ba'ath Party, uh, the party of Saddam Hussein, was largely Sunni. And in order to curry favor with the largely Shiite southeastern third of the country, the Malaki regime, that's the quisling the regime installed by the Americans, uh, launched a campaign of kind of nastiness towards the Sunnis. By 2011, some of these Sunnis felt that they had no choice but to rebel In the Tigris and Euphrates Valleys north of Baghdad, that rebellion gained momentum, and by 2013, it had morphed into what you now know as ISIS. Now, why has ISIS proven so successful? Well, because with every Sunni village it liberates, its numbers swell. A year and a half ago, it had at most 15,000 fighters. Today, it can count a quarter of a million. Secondly, with every oil field it captures, its war chest swells. In early 2013, it was selling oil on the black market at the rate of $4 million a day. Its revenues are three times that today. They have money. Third, taking its lead from the West's indifference to the genocides and ethnic cleansing in Rwanda and the former Yugoslavia, respectively, ISIS has engaged in widespread massacres and expulsions of Kurds, ethnic Turks, and, of course, Iraqi Christians, which, provided ISIS can hold these villages even for a few months, offers its fighters considerable spoils of war, even if ISIS itself should ultimately prove unviable. And, of course, four, uh, a a policy of executing captives presents the enemy with a choice, uh, either fight to the death uh, or flee. Iraqi government uh, soldiers don't get paid if they're dead, so they flee, as we'll see in in a moment that they did in Mosul. Five, ISIS forces are commanded both strategically and in the field by experienced ex-Baathist officers, whereas the Iraqi and Kurdish forces, including their officers, are nigh raw, raw recruits. Sixth. Last year, ISIS sought only to liberate a prison on the western outskirts of Mosul. But the Iraqi government forces that were garrisoning the city, that's a city of almost 2 million inhabitants, second in population only to Baghdad, simply fled, leaving the city wide open. And in their retreat, they abandoned virtually the entire military arsenal that the Americans had left them, which then, of course, fell into ISIS' hands. So they're well-equipped, well-funded, well-equipped. Seven, ISIS took its lead from the Americans at Abu Ghraib and Guantanamo Bay in their contempt for the Hague and Geneva Conventions on the Treatment of Prisoners of War. They engaged in mass mass executions, and the foreigners they beheaded were dressed in the same orange prison garb as the prisoners at Guantanamo Bay. Um, But rather than shielding these practices from the media, ISIS filmed them and sent them out on their own social media network to recruit disaffected Muslim youth from all over the world, youth whose outrage over uh, America's treatment of prisoners of war had not abated. That finally someone has the will and the ability to avenge these war crimes has been a powerful recruitment tool for ISIS. It should come as no surprise, therefore, that 9-11... These beheadings, the attack on the synagogue in West Jerusalem last month, are widely celebrated in the Muslim world. What few Westerners appreciate is that the Israeli-sponsored massacres at Sabra and Shatila in, South Le- in, uh, in, in the suburbs of uh, Beirut in 1982 um, is to, uh, uh, I- are to the Muslim world what Babi Yar and Auschwitz are to the Western mind. Fox News won't tell you this. Al Jazeera will. Eight, the Assad regime in Syria has been so weakened by its war with its own rebels in the northwest of the country that it has been unable to mount any effective resistance to ISIS. Nine, ISIS remi- remains intent on in the northern city, uh, Syrian city of Kobani, a city with its uh, um, uh, so within shelling distance of the, Kur- of the Turkish tanks standing idly by because a victory for the Kurds fighting ISIS is a victory for the 15 million Kurds in Turkey who might uh, then renew their own aspirations for independence. And last but not least, ten. Underestimating the growth potential of ISIS and fearful of miring itself in another Vietnam, the U.S. has been painfully slow and cautious in its response to ISIS. Moreover, the U.S. has not been particularly sanguine about arming the anti-ISIS Iraqis and Kurds, having seen in whose hands those arms can end up. Now, what's the endgame for ISIS? Baghdad and Aleppo. Baghdad, in order to claim sovereignty over a recognized nation-state, and Aleppo, because ISIS needs a port. Why not the ports to the south? Because uh, Iran would probably go to war rather than allow a Sunni takeover of traditionally um, Shiite territory. If left unchecked, we can well imagine Damascus falling to ISIS, but unless ISIS tones down its own anti-Zionist rhetoric, uh, the Israelis would likely have something to say about ISIS taking control of territory so close to its Golan Heights buffer. So trying to give you a sense of the You know what's going on here. Um, So, in summary, this is going to be a long war, and air power alone won't win it. It's going to take a lot of boots on the grounds, on the ground, and the feet in those boots are going to have to be American. Obama has just upped America's commitment tenfold from 150 to uh, that was in August uh, to 1,500 advisors. Americans remember that this is exactly how Vietnam started. Um, Now, here's a well-known but unappreciated fact about war. In a protracted conflict like Vietnam, like the Hunger Wars in the Sub-Sahara, like Palestine, like Afghanistan, and now like Iraq and Syria, one is orders of magnitude more likely to be killed, maimed, enslaved, or otherwise dispossessed by a soldier than as one. So, if you just reverse that, if you think about it, if you're if you're a soldier, you are less likely to be killed, maimed. So, the rational strategy is to pick up a gun. Moreover, soldiers have first dibs on food, water, and shelter, sexual access through either gratitude or rape, camaraderie, upward social mobility, and. As I can attest from personal experience, there's nothing more self-actualizing than the sound of a bullet flying by your ear. In short, the full meal deal on Maslow's hierarchy. And this will be so quite independent of any religious or political ideology. It's got nothing to do with it. To see this, note that between 1965 and 1975, the Americans had by their own count, killed more Viet Cong than there were, by their own count, to be killed in 1965. And yet they lost that war. How? Uh, Because when your child is killed or disfigured by the invader's ordinance, um, what does not enter your mind is whether it was intended or collateral. And the same has proven true in Afghanistan and now in Iraq. Moreover, war places ordinary people in a very difficult position uh, very often in those conflicts, non-collaboration with one side or the other is not an option. So you have to place your bets. The more successful ISIS is, the more the smart money goes to them. To paraphrase Gilbert and Sullivan, ideology has an, has nothing more to do with the case, Trella, than does the flowers that bloom in the spring, Trella. Um Apparently I'm going to uh, run out of, I don't know, I might be able to. Now, how do great powers uh, lose wars to third world peasants? Because it costs the Americans a half a million dollars to level an Afghan hut. A hut he can rebuild for $200, which he can get by selling heroin to the very pilots who just leveled his hut when they're back stateside on leave. What matters in war is not money and body count. It's what expenditures and body count each side is willing to absorb. And in this dialectic, the advantage always goes to those like the Palestinians, Afghanis, or Sunni Iraqis who have less to lose. Okay, but I suspect that nude wanted me to say at least a few more words about uh, what the so-called war on terror is doing to civil societies here in Canada, civil liberties here in Canada. Now, non-local Muslim men and women are swelling the ranks of ISIS by about a 1,000 Recruits a month. Hence, Western governments, one by one, are beginning to authorize the pulling of the passports of profiled would be vacationers. I call them vacationers because one way that they get there is by hopping a boat, um, a cruise ship, and getting off in Turkey. Um, But the greater worry, both in Europe and here in North America, are those Muslims charged with, or as we saw in Ottawa back in October, self charged with bringing the war onto our own soil. Hence the growing encroachment on our civil liberties, and more particularly the f- the flouting of what civil libertarians tout as due process. But due process is a question begging concept, since governments concerned with security can and do simply revise what processes do. If the nation of Islam knows no borders, or so the unstated argument goes, what entitles Muslim Canadians to the process due real Canadians? Mind you, the nation of the children of Israel knows no borders either, so it comes down to a simple matter of uh, alliances. Not a pretty observation, I concede, but a sound one nonetheless. Are you aware, for example, that uh, Hamas uh, and uh, Hezbollah have been declared by the Canadian government as, tur- as, as terrorist organizations? It is a criminal offense to provide any funds for them. B'nai B'rith does exactly the same thing as Hezbollah uh, and Hamas do. Um, but um, of course, we get a tax receipt for. So it's a partisan kind of uh, kind of decision. Um, all right. Uh, one final comment, and then I promise I'll shut up, um, because I haven't really pissed you off yet, and I have to make one more comment. That's. that's, that's gonna, but now apparently I'm off. I'm 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 no longer being broadcast, so I can I can afford to say this. Um. Okay, in 1996, a, a certain Samuel P. Huntington, uh, some of you may be familiar with this book, wrote a book called uh, The Clash of Civilizations, in which he pre- uh, predicted exactly what's happening between the nation of Islam and the nations of the West right now. In this war, most of us and most Muslims are mere spectators, but spectators have it for their, uh, owe it for their entertainment to honor all the players on the field, to resist the doublespeak introduced to us in George Orwell's 1984, so, for example, a terrorist used to mean someone who targets an enemy's non-combatants. So, the attack on the World Trade Center, t- yes, terrorism. The shelling of Gaza this summer, yes, terrorism. But the attack on the Pentagon, no. Uh, nor the fourth plane. Uh, nor had the fourth plane been headed to the White House. Nor Omar Khadr could not have been a terrorist. But now, an act of terrorism is defined not by its target, but by who's doing the targeting. ISIS targeting Iraqi forces terrorism uh israel targeting gaza certainly not fox news won't tell you the following but al jazeera will um, as the government uh, i've already talked about that now then uh the canadian government defines uh, sorry uh now I, I just one last comment that because uh, i want to get this out because I, I need to piss you off A couple of weeks ago, I heard the CBC interviewing the woman who had heard the shots and came running to cradle the head of the soldier gunned down in front of the cenotaph in Ottawa. She told the interviewer that as he lay dying, she told him he was brave. Brave. For standing ceremoniously in front of a cenotaph. Now let's contrast this with the first 45 minutes of CNN's coverage of 9-11 during which I counted no fewer than four spokespersons for Washington, for Albany, for the city of New York, and for CNN itself, referring to this cowardly attack. Cowardly for seizing controls of a jetliner and piling it to certain death into a building. When words lose their meaning, they become grunts. Lions respond to grunts. Human beings do not. If you want to dissuade a human marauder from mauling your child, you'll need to use your words, and words need to mean something. None of us can claim to be neutral in this conflict, nor am I for that matter. Um, I have a colleague who refers to me as a self-loathing Jew, because along with Noam Chomsky, I'm very critical of the State of Israel, but nonetheless, I am Jewish, right? So, um, as paying spectators, we're, f- we're fully entitled to cheer for our team, but we need to remember that this isn't our gladiators taking on lions. It's a clash of civilizations. Whether we're talking about Palestinians or Sunni Iraqis, these are educated men and women who, through no fault of their own, nor ours, have been forced to the wall to fight for what they believe is theirs, or die trying. Under Israeli and American ordinance, many of them have died. And many more will. if we find it unseemly that those few victories like 9 11 should be celebrated in the Muslim world, perhaps we should rethink the seemliness of our own celebrating the death of bin Laden. The unseemliness of what celeb- the unseemliness of that uh, celebration did not go unnoted in the Muslim world. Fox didn't tell you this. Al Jazeera did. Thanks. So, i